Hello and welcome to DesignCast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Regan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. Welcome back to yet again another edition of DesignCast, and thank you guys who continue to listen, and welcome to anyone who's a first-time listener. I'm Jason Reagan, your host, and on this episode, I had the distinct honor of speaking with Mr. Andy Richardson. I connected with Andy via social media and through mutual colleagues several years ago. He's an industrial arts and design technology teacher at Northfield Public School District number 659 in St. Paul, Minnesota. Andy just completed a six-year stint at the Lincoln Community School in Ghana, West Africa, where he was the head of design. During this time in Ghana, Andy successfully planned and implemented several maker fairs in the school community. We had an awesome time chatting about the struggles and successes of pulling off such an event, and I'm sure you're going to find something valuable in our conversation. I'd also like to ask anyone who is enjoying the podcast to review it anywhere you listen to it, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever you might listen to it. Please subscribe and share it with your professional network. Also, please check out my other podcast guest appearances where I talk about a bunch of different topics on all kinds of different things and in different time zones and all over the place with other content creators from around the world. You can see this full list of my appearances at my website, which is www.jasonreagan.ga. If you listen to the episode with Evo Hanan back in Season 2, 
of this podcast, you will hopefully remember that he and I have been working on a design network alliance. We are ready to share that with you guys, and the link to set that up and to sign up for it is in the show notes. But if you are following along and don't have the show notes in front of you, it's gg.gg slash design network alliance. And we look forward to hearing from you. Now sit back and enjoy this chat with Andy. You can always connect with Andy on LinkedIn. Thanks so much. Hey guys, welcome back to another edition of DesignCast and I'm Jason Reagan, your host, and I'm really excited and honored to have Andy Richardson here with me. Well, my goodness, I don't even know how we actually connected Andy. It's been over all kinds of different channels and, and networks. And as we were saying before we started, the world is a really interconnected place. And so I'm really excited to have you here, Andy. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. So Andy, if you don't mind, thank you, man, for being here. And, and if you don't mind kind of giving everyone a little bit of a introduction, maybe if they've not connected with you before, like who you are and what you've been doing and what your plans are. Yeah, awesome. So I, I've been teaching uh, at Lincoln Community School in Accra, Ghana for the last six years. I've, I've been mostly in IB, IB education, IB schools, teaching design, which has uh, been you know wonderful experience. I was originally trained as an individuals and societies teacher in the IB, and over time I've migrated to design, which I which I love teaching, and that's been great. And yeah, so I've taught overseas in Ghana and in Korea, and my wife also is a teacher with me. She's an IB coordinator, MYP coordinator. So, and of course the family, uh, two boys with me as well. My my youngest just graduated this year in the middle of the pandemic. And, and so that was a new experience for us all, of course. But yeah, so that's, you know, where I'm, I guess I'm, I've been. And now I'm in Minnesota, partly because of COVID-19 and uh, starting to look for new opportunities here. Yeah, I know we were saying before we started how, you know, things have changed even from the last six months you know that folks had plans to do one thing and do things so it's about flexibility right i'm sure things will work out for you guys and uh, you got you, you and your wife are a power couple and so i have no doubt yeah yeah realize sure for you guys will. tell me a little bit sort of about your journey i think you mentioned earlier that you started maybe in the peace corps or, or something what tell me oh, a little yeah. bit about how that kind of came about yeah. So, okay. So yeah, I went to St. Olaf College in Minnesota and just so happens that St. Olaf has a really high proportion of students that end up going into the Peace Corps. So I was looking at graduation and thinking about, you know, what I want to do. Honestly, I didn't know, right? Because I had, I had a construction background, right? So I'd done construction through high school and college. So I was like, well, okay, maybe Peace Corps would be a good fit. I could go build stuff at least. My, my wife and I were married at the time and we got to do the Peace Corps together. When I came back from that, I really knew I wanted to go into education, that that was really going to be what I wanted to do. So I started pursuing my, you know, education license, my first master's there. I actually didn't teach right away. I did other things just because of the, the way the job market was and things at the time. But, you know, in 2005, I started teaching at a project-based school here in St. Paul, which I really loved. Like, that was a lot of fun. I really liked the agency the kids had, and I really liked 
liked, you know, working with them on whatever they were passionate about and interested in. But we also had that feeling of like, once our kids were old enough, like, oh, I really want to go overseas. Like we, you know, Peace Corps was kind of in us, right? And But yeah, so then our first overseas experience was, you know, working in Korea. And again, as a family, you know, and, and that was a great experience. We loved Korea. So that that's kind of my roots. And options like design weren't really open here in Minnesota at the time, unless I wanted to teach like industrial arts, like technology, which which is great. Like I would teach that, but that wasn't going to open up opportunities for me to teach internationally. Unfortunately, at the time, it was it seemed like going to be a tough sell to, to tell people, you know, that this experience would translate internationally. So I can relate. I'm actually a trained industrial arts teacher and technology ed teacher. It was hard to break into the international school market at, yeah. as an industrial arts teacher. It took SARS, <laughs> another pandemic <laughs> to happen, uh, where a bunch sure. of folks left China and, and I had an opportunity come up because they were like, we're pretty desperate. So <laughs> it worked out great for me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it, it wasn't a slight on me. It was just that you have to yeah. have experience from somewhere, right? Like someone has to right. give you a shot. So I, I'm with you. I mean, like I, I know that it can limit you and, but it sounds like even with your background in construction and, and all these things that you were always a design teacher at heart. Right. I mean, kind of what ended up happening in my classroom a lot was I just brought a lot of technology into my, you know, is basically teaching history, geography, you know, economics is, is, you know, individuals and societies classes, but the amount of technology I integrated along the way kind of got people's attention. Like, whoa, that's that's interesting. I haven't seen that done before. And, you know, that actually led to my principal coming to me and saying, you know, I, I think you could do this design position that we want to get, really push and get going here. You know, even though I wasn't teaching design, I, I kept, you know, design thinking, design thinking mindset that I brought to class along with technology. And, and then so it worked out in a really nice way for me to move from, you know, teaching individual society, which I also love. The conversation and the topics and everything is fantastic, you know, but then it worked out nicely for me to transition to design. That's awesome. I actually know quite a few uh, INS teachers who've become design teachers. So I think there's a particular connective tissue there. Well, actually, if you start looking, all the subjects sort of connect to design. Yeah. Uh, And this continues to be a theme through almost every episode of this podcast, as you see that, wait a minute, you know, and I actually think that all teachers should be trained as design teachers along with their subject because these project-based, like you mentioned, you could be a much better project-based teacher understanding the design cycle and understanding right, how design right. works, right? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's great. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved in Maker Fairs. I hear that you've, you've got some experience with that. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got started and what you've done with that? I've been interested in, in them for, for quite a while, but the thing that really kicked off the Maker Fair idea, my current school where I am was attending a Learning 2 conference in Warsaw, Poland. You know, there was a design program that was being established there at the time. It wasn't quite running, but man, it was it was going to be cool. And you could tell like there's a lot of energy behind it. And they had just done, if I remember right, they had just completed their first school maker fair. They did a presentation for and just a workshop about here's here's how it worked and here's how you could do it. Another teacher and I from Lincoln Community School were at that session and we we're just like, yes. <laughs> You know, we're going to do it. So so when we got back to Ghana, we had everything we needed kind of organizationally to at least 
propose it and present it. Fortunately, we had a lot of support from our administrators and they, they were a little worried about like, you know, when can we do it? Busy schedules, all that kind of stuff. But basically like, it, let's find a spot. And as long as we can find a, a time to do it, let's do it. And, you know, I really have to credit them with ambiguity, like being good with ambiguity because we had a lot of times where we were like, I, I don't know how that works, right? Like, I'm not sure. We haven't done this before, but they were like, okay, okay, keep going, keep going. And it was a lot to organize, but the principle of the thing, right, is that learning doesn't only happen in the classroom. It's happening all the time. It's happening when, you know, students are at home, when they're at school. You know, making things is a way of, like, consolidating their learning. Like, you know, they have to make meaning of their own learning. And what does that look like? It looks a little different for every kid. And the Maker Faire is sort of a really nice way, I think, to kind of showcase student learning, you know, and, like, how how students are making sense of, of whatever they're learning. Being able to you know, express themselves in a way that is public, but also fun and hopefully not scary, right? So that's always a little concern. I thought, you know, if we get 30 kids to participate, I'm going to be like, yes, excellent, you know, successful first school maker fair, because we have a school about at the time, I think it's about 700 students, pretty close to that now, I guess. We ended up having a little over 300 that participated, right? So as the enrollments were coming in and as kids were registering, I was, yeah, I was starting to get a little worried because then I had to think about, gosh, where are we going to put all these kids, right? Like where are all these projects going to go? And some of them were large, like, you know, they're going to have to be delivered on a trailer. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like there was really, that's just to say that there, that it was really well received, you know, that it filled some kind of need or, or feeling that the community had that, that this is something that, you know, was missing or that was important for the community. So felt really good about that. And yeah, aside from the organizational hurdles and all the sort of problems we had to overcome, like the learning that students showcased was amazing. I think everybody was impressed by the level of learning that, that students were demonstrating too, that they brought on their own. You know, no teacher was saying, well, you have to do this and here's the due date and here's your grade. And you know what I mean? There was none of that. It was just like, what have you got? You know, what are you excited about? Bring it and show us, you know, and really like it kind of blew us away, I think. Yeah, we had a lot of slime on the slime table and maybe we could have had less slime because that was very popular. But overall, it was like fantastic, fantastic day that we put together and we were able to repeat it once. It got even bigger. We had four hundred a little over 400 participants last year and then after the first year the parents were like well can we participate more in this and so then we also had parents coming in and so yeah we just had like a jam-packed basically gymnasium over the course of a day over 500 participants in and out of there and yeah just amazing and then this year of course we ran into COVID-19 but we still managed to put on a small like vir- virtual maker fair which was pretty cool we just did it on Flipgrid because it yeah. was it, we were just trying to find the easiest platform to, you know, where there could be some kind of exchange back and forth. So, you know, the maker fairs have been really, really positive. It really surprised me how good they've been, how well they've gone. I'm inspired. So tell me how you go about, is it something you need to like register with make and that yeah. kind of thing? Like what, what's the kind of the logistics behind it? How does that work? Yeah, exactly. So if you go to the, uh, the make website, you know, they'll have on there, it'll say, you know, on their main menu at the top, it'll have all their different topics. And one of them is maker fairs. And if you, if you click on that, you also, it also will bring up school maker fairs. It's very easy to register. So we registered, I think they 
use a Google form. Yeah, they use a Google form. And you just register on their Google form, like we're this school, we want to hold at this date. And then they send you basically a package Google Doc organizational materials. And so then it's great. Like there's an entire like checklist of everything you need to do, everything you need to manage. So it's uh, really well laid out to give you sort of all the things you need to think through to create the team you need to pull it off. Yeah, so once you've done that, it's, it takes some organization. And as I said, the, the problem for us was the sort of numbers and space. Like that. And then in Ghana, it can be weather too. So like, so one of these things where you got to kind of play with all these variables until you figure out something that works. And, and for us, it meant rotating. It meant rotating students through our gymnasium all day long, basically. So they had to keep coming and going basically on the hour to get them all in and participating so oh i guess we also had some performance spaces that we set off in in different rooms too so when we have music and, and those kinds of things that students wanted to participate with we we had somewhere set aside for them as well but we tried to do most of it in in our gymnasium because that really was our only option <laughs> obviously uh, we had some space issues so I, I understand. And, you know, and, and you've been in international schools for a while, so you understand that, you know, often a big community event is centered around cultural things, like it might yeah. be an international day or it might be some sort of food festival. So to have something like this where there's design thinking involved and there's, you know, people sharing their passions and stuff like that. What a neat dynamic and, and a whole new layer of school community life. And so did you notice any positive side effects of having these things in your, in your school community? Yeah, I think one really positive, you know, aside from like, you know, the, the happiness of the students and just sort of the joy of the students was like how the parents also felt really able to be involved and participate. So, so I know like, you know, when you have a school uh, science fair, for instance, it's often discussed courage that parents maybe don't participate and but this this we were just like yeah you want to do this with your child you know go ahead you do it together and then you come together and let's see it and then so that was received really well and then i think in the international school community in ghana there's there's often you know there's just the the way life works is you often have one parent who can be more involved with the school than the other parent right so i think that this was really kind of a rich experience for those parents who you know were able to just come and like participate and I think it was it was a great way I think to especially in the second year as I mentioned like to leverage and work with parents in their own students learning right so that they felt you know invited into the learning process of the student and they felt into the felt invited in the learning uh, life of the of the school had you know just many many parents you know almost more excited than their kids right about like <laughs> you know like what what they were what they were doing working on and yeah so i thought that that was like a really great way to involve parents in the life of learning in the school essentially by bringing a lot of learning from home and saying yeah this totally counts in school in this school maker fair activity and you know thanks for participating in all this right so that was a really big thing I think as far as like it seemed to me like the climate of the school even changed a bit right after that you know that we are a pretty tight community at Lincoln Community School I think you know in a good pretty strong community but it was just like yeah we're all involved in this thing together and I think that that was felt throughout the community which was which was really cool. 
This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. I'm excited. I want to think of ways I can do that myself wherever I'm at. And being that you guys were in Ghana, were there issues with sourcing materials and things sometimes or... Or was it always. not really? Yeah, always. <laughs> but how would you guys go about yeah. finding things that you needed? Okay, well, we had a lot of fails. I mean, we basically, we had some funds to make sort of a vacuum cleaner hovercraft that we wanted to build. And, you know, we knew how to make it. And we just we just needed to get hold of a shop vac, basically, or just a vacuum motor that was going to be big enough. And, oh, my gosh. So we had to basically leave that and we couldn't do it. I mean, we just couldn't come up with some of the materials we needed for some of the projects that students wanted to do. Yeah, so in Ghana, one thing I love about Ghana is it's, is it's always about innovation. Ghanaians are great about saying, well, I can't get this part for my car or I can't get this part for this other thing. And so I'm just going to make it like I'm going to MacGyver it. And often their solutions are better than the original part anyway, right? So that's like a constant problem in Ghana, but it's also in Ghana, like design thinking is built into life, right? It's just, you know, things are always going wrong. In Ghana, people are always trying to figure out how to solve the problem in some innovative way. Yeah, I'm always amazed at like the solutions they come up with and they work, right? So it's like, I don't know why like engineering firms aren't going to Ghana to hire a lot of people because, you know, they really should be. Now that I'm in Korea, it's my third year here. I was in China before that. And early yeah. on in China, it was like camping all the time, every day. <laughs> you know, like yeah. That's how your life was, but which I'm sure is a lot like Ghana is now. And, but then you're in Korea where, you know, there's 5G outside everywhere and there's internet everywhere. And, you know, there's no trash cans because everything's underground and things like right. that. So right. imagine those differences. Did that affect the way you taught? actually the way you did things yeah i often look back and say i wish i had taken advantage of things more because things would happen and it's just like man like like the city would flood right and then suddenly nobody could move you know and then there were all sorts of environmental things that would pop up like that or all sorts of needs that would pop up that i really like i wish i had you know been able to dig into more you know like so disadvantaged kids for instance not having access to education but part of the reason might be because they just can't simply can't get to school or disabled kids who really can't you know they can't sit in a normal chair but they don't have the proper you know the proper wheelchairs or the proper crutches of the proper equipment to basically, you know, do school like most kids might do school, right? Those are like opportunities that I, I really wish I'd been able to dig into more because they were there, but we were able to at least talk about those things in class, right? And just think about, you know, bring bring in like real life situations into class quite often and, and work on, you know, trying to make the world a little better by by whatever we were doing. And it was great because kids would always be bringing stuff in like Mr. Richardson did you did you know that <laughs> uh, you know did you know about this problem or did you know about this school or did you know about this situation and you know and so the the kids too were you know often really thinking about the community that they lived in which which I love I just wish I could have taken you know more advantage of it as a teacher myself 
Well, maybe with how exciting the Maker Fair movement was, and maybe that will spark some further yeah. action from your students. Because I know one thing in looking at your school and in the situations, it seems like everything is really service oriented, and there's a lot of service that happens and action that happens in the school. And so maybe people will start connecting those dots. <laughs> yeah, know, there's definitely You're only one guy, right? You can only help right. <laughs> do yeah. so much. But no, I understand. Right. And I can imagine with your INS background too, looking at the anthropology behind, you know, how things develop yeah. and things and people and movements of those folks. And so that sounds like it was really exciting. And I'm sure you're going to miss those days, but we have, um, I'm sure, more challenges ahead of us. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> this new world of education that is starting to unfold. And yeah. so looking ahead, what's something you're really, really excited about at the moment, just in general, anything you're excited about? I am really excited about in general about innovation and education. And I actually just completed a second master's degree in administration because what I'm really interested in is like, how does innovation work in schools, right? And how can we really kind of drive that in, in schools to benefit kids, right? To benefit students in learning. So yeah, I get really excited when I see things like Flow 21 uh, out of web or, you know, uh, some of the other innovative things that are happening in schools in Ethiopia, for instance, they've got you know a plex program now which i think is is really interesting and flexible block scheduling where students have some agency to work on things that they want to work on and i get really excited when i start seeing those kinds of things happening in schools and doing innovative innovative work that's going to benefit learners so you know part of that is design for me you know thinking about like all the different all the different ways that design can be integrated into all that and be part of that and then you know yeah i think part of it part of my background is actually anthropology and that's you know the anthro anthropologist side of looking at like how how do cultures work how do they change for the better hopefully to benefit kids so yeah i'm pretty excited about what i'm starting to see in international schools and then like learning to the learning to conferences and stuff there's a lot of that that's been a rich rich place for me to to learn oh coattail which you may be familiar with complete a coattail certificate a couple years ago but yeah sort of all of that energy about like how do we make education more innovative for the benefit of kids and learning. Yeah, I get pretty excited about that. <laughs> well, let's hope that the new educational landscape, not only in international schools, but even in public schools and around the right. world, will start to see that this innovation is important, especially with how so many schools were caught off guard with the COVID stuff and going online and all of that and, and seeing the importance in that and, and being innovative and thinking about things in a flexible way. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the innovation is something I'm, I'm excited about too. And I'm going to look up those programs that you're talking about. I'm familiar with WAB. I wasn't familiar with the one in Ethiopia, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Andy, tell me one ed tech tool that you can't live without. I don't know if this qualifies as a tool, but like without it, it would have been so much harder. But just like Google Docs have been just critical, right? In the last few months here, I mean, my, my classroom was already blended. Kids were already using Google Docs. I'm so glad because this would have been so much harder if I was still on, you know, Microsoft uh, Word or yeah, other platforms that don't lend themselves so 
sharing and collaboration. So anything that's about sharing and collaboration, yeah, like that's been really important in my teaching. And then I would just add one more that I think is really important to me in my in my classroom, which is Scratch. My students get their first taste of programming with Scratch, and and that I love that program because light bulbs just start blinking and going off. So my those are the the two probably things I, I get most excited about with my kids. Yeah. I get you. I mean, I think Scratch, it's so great that Scratch was designed and was free and it can be used anywhere. Like I, when I taught in China, we had access to it, which is not always the case with Google Docs, but it was with right. Scratch. <laughs> and so yeah. I think it's such a great tool. And there's all these different spinoffs now, Scratch Junior and all these different things that you can do. And so, yeah, that's awesome. Okay. And then what about what book would you recommend everyone read at the moment? Gosh, that, so that's such a hard, that's such a hard one, but because there's so much good stuff out there but I keep finding myself going back to innovative mindset like I just like I keep going back to that book and you know, everything George Kuro says in there it's like yeah gosh you're still gonna like make a lot of this happen you know it's I think that book is just really stuck with me and then the other author I, I find myself gravitating to a lot is uh, Michael Fullan so anything about change in schools so all of his books about schools and change and what that looks like it's it's really also about innovation in schools and and how we how we adapt to change right so so George Koros and Michael Fullan are, are two people who I pay a lot of attention to I'm seeing a theme emerge here Andy this innovation <laughs> in education <laughs> which is great and you know when we started I was thinking okay we're going to talk about Maker Fair and actually Maker Fair is a byproduct of innovation in education right like it's this it idea of, of taking these project-based uh, passions and turning them into something that's actionable right Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's exciting, man. You got me pumped up, Andy, and it's the summertime. I can't be pumped up in the summertime, man. You're, you're <laughs> yeah, making me work too hard. <laughs> no, that's, <okay. laughs> that's great. All right. Well, Andy, listen, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So uh, I have a website called Pandian Online. I'll provide the link for you. And then I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. My Twitter handle is also Pandian Online. Everybody else had Andy Richardson or Andrew Richardson and I was didn't work. I couldn't find, a, find anything. So I made up my own, which is Pandian Online. It's a little unwieldy, but uh, yeah, that's a great way to get in touch with me. Thank you, Andy. Well, listen, this has been really exciting and I'd love to follow back up with you later on, maybe in six months or so, just to see how you're doing and what you've, where you've landed. And I think that folks would love to hear kind of what you end up doing and hearing about an update from your family and yourself. And so hopefully you would be willing to come back and talk about that sometime. I absolutely would. Yeah. And thanks so much for uh, having me on today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon.